Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the Cortellinius podcast on Breaking the Lines. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and I'll be speaking today with a very interesting writer and friend that I've known for quite a while. He's written quite a few articles for us on Breaking the Lines, including his latest work from last week on the promising Libyan midfielder Al-Mushrati on Braga. So really excited to be getting into a lot of these youngsters uh, in the Portuguese league and talking about him, about the current state of play in Portugal. Uh, it is a pleasure to introduce Jaime Silva. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Uh, and let's talk about Portugal. <laughs> so it's been a bit interesting, at least to... Uh, to, to start off Liga Noche after, after international break because most of the big players in the league have not actually played yet. We've got a... So by the time this podcast goes out, the results of Ferenc, Braga, Benfica Marishimo, and Morenc Sporting uh, will all probably be known. But there are plenty of games that we can go into besides those Porto, you know, narrowly beating Santa Clara with a late goal from Tony Martinez. That's something that's a game we're surely going to be getting into. Boavista continuing their impressive run of form against Bill and Inch with a 2 nothing win. Gil Vicente beating Huav. Uh, Portimon Inch starting off Liga Noche with a 5-1 victory over Nacional, uh, spearheaded by Beto, a player I know we'll be getting into. And finally, yesterday, Tondela. Uh, defeating Vitoria de Guimaraes and Famalicao continuing their upward swing in form under Ivo Vieira with a 2 nothing win over Passos de Ferreira. Where should we start first, Jai? <laughs> I think Friday was a surprise. Was a surprise. It was. It uh, was I think that was the biggest result in this season. A part of Benfica that won 5-1 against Famalicão in the, the first round, but uh, it was a it was the biggest score in this season, and that's uh, that's a big mark for Portimonense. I think that they never done that, and I think that no other lowest team of the league done that uh, in the history of Liga Nosh. Uh, I think that's a historic result for the club and for Liga Nosh too. Uh, Nacional, I don't think they'll make it. I think it's it will be very difficult. I saw their calendar till the end of the season, and that not uh, looks very good. They face very good teams, and uh, Manuel Machado didn't have the start that he wanted, and I I think that will be very difficult to him. But we have Beto. Uh, I think that's a surprise, uh, as you know, Beto. A few seasons ago, was on the third league, uh, playing at Montijo. It's a very small club, and I think that's a big step. And I think uh, it is made for another flight. Uh, on Saturday. Let's talk about that game a little more. We saw this very interesting game between Portimonense and Nacional. And yeah, 5-1 at the Estadio de Madeira. So some very interesting players on this Portimonense team. Mm -hmm. I personally have liked Fad Mufi, the uh, right back, right wing back, Moroccan Who's, who's been there for a decent amount of time. I think he can be in for a big move soon. Luquinha, on the other hand, Brazilian doing well in midfield. But the star of the show right now is Beto. And, you know, there are a lot of rumors that he could be joining a, potentially a Porto, a Sporting, a Benfica, 
soon. Talk to me about Beto. What do you make of him as a player, as a striker? Just how good is he? I like Beto. I think he's a good player. He's smart at exploring the spaces. He's very smart. He's not um, a typical striker of uh, low esteem. He's, he's very smart. He's, he's fit. Uh, he has very difficult technique, very technique difficulties that I think that uh, will be show a great level, you know? I think he's a very good player, but I uh, still don't think he's made for the Sporting Porto or Benfica. I really don't think. I really, really think that uh, his abilities will be very, very shown at this level, and uh, I don't think he's made for it. But uh, I guess he's a, a very rotation player to Braga, Vitoria, or even abroad. He's a good player for a, a middle team of uh, Premier League. But I don't think that uh, playing against low blocks, you know, I don't think it's the right player. Absolutely. Although, you know, it should be noted, of course, that even if he isn't good enough or can't crack the rotation at one of those top three clubs, there are plenty of players that we've seen Mateus Pereira is another one who, you know, haven't been able to make the grade at a top three club. Luka Jovic, of course, another one, and have excelled elsewhere. I want to switch gears from Portugal to England for a second because Mateus Pereira is a player who, he isn't playing in Portugal anymore. He isn't Portuguese, so there's likely no chance of Portugal, you know, getting him into the setup. But he just had a massive performance against Chelsea on the weekend. And frankly, it just shocks me that this kid really never got a consistent opportunity at sporting. What do you think of Mateus? Why do you think he never really was able to get that consistency that we're seeing with, you know, other young players at sporting now like Pedro Gonçalves and Nuno Mensch? Why mm-hmm. this just seems like really the one that got away if you're sporting? Uh, I think Mateus had a bad timing uh, because I am 100% sure that if Mateus Pereira were on the first team of sporting this year, you will be a star with Ruben Amorim. I think he had bad luck on the timing because when he first uh, made his first steps on the first league or on Chaves, uh, I think he was launched by Jesus on Sporting. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that his first game was uh, against Porto in a Clásico. And uh, I think he had bad luck. He, when he started, uh, Jesus, as you know, doesn't uh, bet really on youngsters of the academies. And I think he had bad luck on the timing of the project of the club. If it was now, it will be a great uh, a great option for Ruben Amorim and uh, very important for the team. And uh, you talked about Jovic, but I think that uh, even beside those players, I think Portugal is is upgrading the way as we enjoy our youngsters, you know? I think that, that that's different. I think that's changing. Absolutely. Moving on now, you know, I want to shift attention back mm-hmm. to Portugal, but focusing a bit on the international side rather than the club football for a second. Portugal, uh, they they defeated um, Switzerland pretty thoroughly, 3-0 in their final group stage match. So maintaining, I believe, the best record in the entire U21 Euros group stage, I think only Denmark were, were, mm-hmm. were the only other team to keep a, a perfect record. But I believe that Portugal had a higher goal differential. I may be wrong on that. But it's clear that this team, this class of 99 that we've been talking about for so long, you know, they, they could be set to win it all. I mean, I, I would probably argue that they're the favorites right now. By looking at the continuity of these players, pretty much a lot of them are, have been playing together 
at the international mm-hmm. level for six years now, five years. It's incredible how, you know, despite the mm-hmm. fact that they haven't been playing together at club level since 2019, I believe, there's still that chemistry that, you know, you just cannot take away. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this Portuguese team? And you know, I don't know, what do you think it says about the fact that really not many of these players, apart from perhaps Thiago Tomás and Pedro Gonçalves and, you know, a few few others, but a lot of them uh, have not really been given consistent opportunities at the first team level in, in Portugal. Totally agree. I think that the Portuguese Federation is doing a great job with the youngsters. I think that uh, Portugal is the best generation in the world. Like, I don't think that's a absurd argument. I think I, and, uh, and I don't say that because I'm Portuguese. Uh, I really think that. I really think that Portugal is the best generation. And the 99 generation is as such talent as the generation of Eusebio. I think that's that's the best team that Portugal is. And uh, it's, it's curious because if you look at the at the lineup, very few of them are playing at, at their club, you know. We have Yo Costa, he's sub for Marchezin. Yo Roche is a sub at uh, Famalicão. Dioglet is a sub of Mbemba and Pep. You have Thierry Correia play at Valencia, but you, you have uh, Tomás Tavares on the bench that uh, was uh, a few years ago, was one of the most talented youngsters in the world. And now he's loaned at Ferenc by Benfica. And uh, if you ask a Benfica supporter, one opinion about Tomás Tavares is not the best. It's not appreciated by the by Benfica supporters. Uh, you have Jetson loaned at Galatasaray. Florentine loan at Monaco and doesn't play. You have such a great players on that team and a lot of them weren't even uh, called by Rui Jorge. And uh, I think that... Uh the Portuguese clubs are not uh, are not enjoying that talent. I think that uh, that's a problem on Porto Benfica. It's bigger. It's bigger than it's in in Sporting. I think Sporting it's improving that uh, that evolution they made most because of um, a Marine. Ruben Amorim is doing a great job with the youngsters. And yes, I think the talent should be more more enjoyed by by Benfica in Porto. No doubt about that. Absolutely agree. So now I want to get into another club that have been the subject of interest for quite some time. Famalicão. They came within inches, really, of, of sealing a miraculous Europa League qualification um, after, you know, just going up to the top flight for the first time in 19 years. I believe they suffered an equalizer. And it's really been day and night last season versus this season. We've seen them struggle in a relegation fight. And they've gone through two coaches already. They they sacked João Pedro Sosa, who was was appointed after Famalicão's sealed promotion, right? He was promoted after them. Uh, did very well, but, you know, bottom fell out and he was sacked in, I believe, January. Uh, then Silas came in, uh, the ex-sporting uh, manager. I don't think it's fair to judge him because he was only given, I think, seven games or so before he was sacked. But anyways, he was fired. Then they brought in a, a manager named Ivo Vieira, who you know has, has been in Portugal for quite some time. He's, he's a bit of a youngster as far as managers go. Recently mm-hmm. was a manager of Vitoria de Guimarães last season. I believe he had a spell in Saudi Arabia or perhaps... Yes, yes, Alweda. Alweda. Right. Thank you. But he was appointed back for the position for the Famalicão job after uh, their 0-3 defeat to Boavista. And... He's just done a tremendous job considering the circumstances. First off, Malikau 
uh, managed to draw to Braga, the team that had been second for quite a while. I believe they're fourth now, but arguably should have won, considering the fact that Braga had a pretty dubious penalty in their favor. Mm-hmm. You know, following that, they defeated Maricimo for nothing, and then mm-hmm. uh, they pulled off a very impressive win against fifth place. Talk to me about this Famalicao team. I, I will go into some of the players later, but right now, talk mm-hmm. to me about what Ivo Vieira has been able to achieve in his short but sweet spell so far uh, as Famalicao coach. As you know, in Portugal, we have uh, a big problem with the coaches. I think that the seasons are not uh, well planned by the, the president, the sports director, and the coaches are always the, the guilty ones, you know. Uh, and I think that uh, João Pedro Sousa and Silas were, were the smallest uh, problem in Famalicão. I think the season was very poorly planned. They sold the best um, players, only stayed Gustavo uh, Assunção, I think, that of the original lineup. And I think that uh, the season was very poorly planned, I think. It's not that the players who came in the summer window were bad, but uh, you can't, it's like Benfica, you can change most of the your um, original lineup and expect the results were quickly, quickly good, you know? I think when you change a lot of your team, the results less to change. And I think that was the problem of Famalicão. I think João Pedro Souza had the less blame in the club. And even Silas, he had one week with three games. And um, Silas is a special coach with a special way of playing, you know. And it takes time to put his ideas on the team. And uh, he hadn't that time. And he said it uh, on TV that... Uh, it's impossible to change a team in one week with three games. It's, it's impossible. But I think it, if Vieira was the coach that Famalicão need, I think that he should have came in the start of the season. The his transfer to Alweather really disappoint me. I think that uh, he would fit in the in a big club. It's a very good coach, and uh, the best part of his work since he came. I think three games, two wins and one one draw to Braga and one win to Passos Ferreira, the, the revelation team of of this year. And the Famalicão really neutralized Passos Ferreira. I think that the game was very well planned. Passos Ferreira had three shots, if I'm not wrong. And the Vieira is, that, is a coach that can take the best of his players. And I think that's the most fundamental thing on Famalicão. You have great players. I think that Famalicão, a part of Benfica, Sporting Braga, has the best team in Portugal. I think that the players they have uh, could fit uh, on Benfica, Sporting in, in Porto. Easily, easily. You have Lee Junior, the goalkeeper that uh, has been associated to Benfica. You have Ruben Vinagre, Diogo Queiroz. Uh, you have Pepe, Kraev. You have Ivan Raime. You have um, Ugarte, that came from Uruguay for 3 million and is being associated with Benfica too. And when you have such amount of talent and uh, poor results, you got to have a coach with uh, personality, with, um, we say in Portugal, um, with charisma. And I think if there is that coach, I think he take the players and he can withdraw the best of them, you know? I think that uh, is that coach. He really takes advantage of the players' qualities. And I think that's the, that's the key to success in Family Company. 
Yeah, so I completely agree with, like you said, that chop and change style, it's incredibly unsustainable. I think it's, it is worth pointing out, however, that Famalicao did come within inches of Europa League qualification by doing that exact same strategy, right? By basically just building a new team overnight. The issue, though, as we've seen with not just Famalicao, but teams such as you know, even Southampton, I think are a great example in, in previous years of just that chop and change right building new squads overnight it's just unsustainable you can't guarantee that same results and frankly mm-hmm. by by maintaining that core group of players and perhaps by you know not shooting so high you would get a little bit more stability for as we've seen with other mid-table clubs but you know two players actually who've made a pretty sizable impact probably the biggest impact came in the january window and they're already getting linked uh with bigger clubs such mm-hmm. as Benfica and sporting um, those two players are Hubin Vinagre and Manuel Ugart. So I want to start off talking about Ugarte because he is a player who has been on the radar for quite a while, even during his time in Uruguay. A highly rated youngster. I believe Famalicao sealed the deal in October or something, and they were able to bring him in in the January window. Talk to me about what you've made of Ugarte's presence in the center of the pitch for Famalicao. Do you think he's ready for a big move soon? And uh, what kind of player would you liken him to? I think Ugarte is uh, clearly made to a big club. I think uh, you don't have to be a scout to see that. I think he's a very good player. You know, you see him play and you you see a, a mature player. You know, he has uh, 21 years, I, I guess, 20. I'm not sure, really certain, but I think that 20, 21 years and you see a mature, a mature player. He has good sense of positioning he has good disarm good tackle and uh, he's very good coming to the area I think that uh, he still has problems of definition on the last third but I think that he's a very good player I think that he can do six and eight I think that uh, he can do both positions and uh, I really think that uh, he could solve most of Benfica problems on the midfield I think he's that player he can play at six and uh, uh, besides Weigel can uh, put really viable at tight and he could be at six or he could be at tight to playing box to box because he has the capacity of um, doing uh, the two jobs defending and uh, offensive I think he's a very good player and uh, I don't understand how Benfica didn't scout him first or didn't um, uh, sign him because three million for Benfica it's uh, a low price I think for the player he is I think three million is, is nothing I think he's player to worth 30 40 million in the future and I I really don't understand how family come got him. I don't understand. It was a big investment, but I think they'll get uh, much more money than $3 million soon. You made some really interesting points about Benfica's midfield, which I really want to get into. But uh, we need to talk about the other shining star at Famalica, one of mm-hmm. them at the moment, Hubin Vinagre. Ruben Vinagre, a player who I believe came from Sporting's Academy, joined Monaco at a young age, you know, didn't get much opportunities with Leonardo Jardim there, eventually left pretty young to Wolves, and uh, he got some decent experience there, but never quite managed to nail down starting spot. 
under Nuno Espirito Santo. And I think that even we saw uh, kind of the pressure of being expected to be the starter kind of got to him, I think, in the early weeks of the season. And with Johnny Otto out, we saw how the Wolves decided to bring in Ryan Aitnori on loan and actually loan Inagre out uh, to Olympiacos, where he mm-hmm. didn't really get much playing time there either. So they decide to move him to a Portuguese club after all these years abroad. And he has just been fantastic for me. I'm so happy uh, because I've long thought that Vinagre was one player who could, you know, be that long-term option at left back for Portugal. Right now, it seems like Nuno Mensch has got that. He is quite clearly the best young Portuguese left back available right now, just period. And he's doing incredible things right now. But I think that with Mendes potentially leaving the summer, I think that Vinagre would be a very wise uh, replacement. And it's it's kind of hard to talk about that, given the fact that he's he's still on loan from Wolves and, you know, Famalicao. I would like to see him stay just for the sake of, you know, for them. But it's pretty clear that this kid is a kid who's destined to play for, for a top three Portuguese club, I think. What do you make of Vinagre? Just how good has he been? And do you think he could be a be a hit at any of the top three clubs in Portugal right now? I think, yes. I have a feeling that uh, he's staying at Portugal, I think. I don't know if he's going to Benfica or Sporting. I would like to see him at Benfica. But I think the that he was a, he would be a perfect replacement in Mendes. I think to that position, doing the the whole corridor. I don't I don't know if you say that word, but I think it would it would be perfect to replace Nuno Mendes. I think that he would fit perfectly perfectly on that position. I think that he had problems on the Premier League because he has very difficulties defending on Famalicão and uh, if he goes to Benfica, Sporting, his ability are not very shown as they are on Premier League, you know. I think on Premier League, the if you have defensive abilities, if you uh, are a centre-back, uh, full-back, uh, centre-midfield, and if you have uh, defensive abilities, I think that uh, you have very, very low possibility of uh, being a good player on Premier League. You see that by Nelson Smedo. You, said that, you see that by David Luiz, by Maguire. On Premier League, they value the, um, your uh, defensive qualities. And I, I don't think he has that. And I think that uh, he would fit perfectly on a, on a big club that plays a, an offensive game like Benfica or Sporting, uh, and I have no doubt that uh, that he will, he will stay in Portugal. I think Benfica is on first place of the run because of, you know, the, the connection that the club has to Jorge Mendes, and I think they, he, can, uh, he can easily put uh, Ruben Vinagre in, at Benfica for a low price. Uh, Benfica has a very business with Wolverhampton, and I think it would be a great move for Benfica. I don't think that Grimaldo is staying, and I think that Ruben Vinagre will replace him for a lower price and better because I don't I don't think that the Grimaldo would be a, a better option than Vinagre. And uh, I, I really like him. I, since I see him playing at uh, under 17, under 19, under 21, I think there is a very good player offensively. He's, he's top, he's, he's a crack. And I think that uh, he still uh, has time to, be, to have a great future. And I hope he has a great future in Portugal. Absolutely. I think that it's funny how 
whenever we get a Benfica fan on the show, he says what a lot of neutrals don't believe, that Grimaldo, frankly, is not that good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I've always said that. I think that the in terms of the gap between people who regularly watch Portuguese League and people who don't really, in terms of the gap of public opinion, I think Grimaldo is right up there. Like, don't get me wrong, he's not a bad player, but mm-hmm. people who think he's going to PSG or City are out of their freaking minds. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, we, we can talk about it later, but right now I want to speak about uh, something that you just brought up when talking about Ugarte, which is the Benfica midfield scenario. So been a bit of a problem position. We've seen this season, George Jesus mainly going with Julian Weigel and Adel Tarabat, you know, some, some other rotational pieces, for example, Gabriel Pires. But in general, it does seem like Benfica need a player to take that midfield to the next level. Some some names that we've brought up, Manuel Ugarte is one player who could reinforce them. Stephen Ustakio, player who you have written about for breaking the lines. Another player who you recently wrote about, As Al Musrati on Braga, has been linked for a 20 million euro move. But out of those names and you know any other names that that I'm forgetting that have you know that could be potential options, what do you think is the answer? Who do you think is the answer to Benfica's midfield issue, or you think it's do you think that answer is is in Monaco on loan right now? <laughs> uh, of the four you talked about, I think that the best option to Benfica would be Almuzati. Uh, I love him. I mean, you see him play and he's, he's soft, he's, he's good with the ball, he's good without the ball, he, he has a good uh, positional play. He's very good, I think. But uh, I don't think that, that uh, transfer is possible. I saw in the news that uh, Braga is asking for 20 million. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think that Benfica will pay uh, that amount for any player this summer. Benfica um, spent uh, more than 100 million on the, the last window, as you know. And I don't think that Benfica, uh, as we say in Portugal, entrar loucuras. I think that that Benfica really can do that. So I think that's the that the possibility is at Monaco. I really think. Uh, I'm not a fan of Florentino. I've got to be honest. I don't. It's not that I think that he's a bad player. None, none of that. But uh, I don't like his like Palinha. I don't like his way of playing. He has very difficulties with the ball. I think. I think that he's not very good at passing, like people say. Yeah, he has very difficulties with. Uh, long balls and uh, vertical balls to break lines I don't think is that kind of player and I think Benfica gotta have uh, six that uh, that do that like Vagel you know I think Benfica plays with against low blocks every game every single game and maybe not against Porto or Sporting but every single game Benfica plays against low blocks and I don't think Florentino mm, do that job well I think that Benfica gotta have two midfielders that can can break lines with the ball I think that uh, the profile of the six uh, gotta be like Faga like Almuzrati I don't think that Florentino could do that job but uh, I may be wrong I don't I'm not big a fan of him but almost got he definitely the the best uh, the best player of the four and uh, Eustachio wouldn't be a bad option and uh, maybe it would be the cheapest not the best but the cheapest in terms of uh, relation quality price I think he is the best but it breaks my heart to hear you say that because I've been a fan of Florentino for a while I know I know I know <laughs> I agree though that he isn't the best player for you know breaking down deep blocks but but, uh, I don't know. I feel like, you know, he, he could have a similar impact to Paulinho. Um, I think that Paulinho is the better player right now, but Florentino does have 
I would say probably higher potential as well. But yeah, his career just hasn't gone the way we thought it would when he broke onto the scene um, under Bruno Lage. So, a bit unfortunate. I want to get your take on how George Jesus is doing as a Benfica manager because, frankly, he's, you know, disappointed for the most part. I think that yeah, everything seems like... It, he will spend another year in charge. What have you made of George Jesus on a tactical level? I'm a very, I'm a very big fan of, of Jesus, as you know. Um, I love him a lot. He gave me plenty of joys in my youth. <laughs> Uh, many years Benfica won because of him. Uh, he, he did a revolution on the club. When he arrived, we he didn't win one during five years. And when he got, we were, we were a champion with a, a play wire that I've never seen on Benfica. It was we we played very well. Um, and I think he is the is the perfect coach for Benfica. I think that uh, I know you well. You want to talk more about the what goes on on the on the field, but I, I guess Benfica's problem is off the field. Uh, I think that um, Jesus isn't part of the problem. I think is a could be a solution, could be a solution, but uh, right now I don't think is the is a coach that uh, that can change a lot. But I think that is the best Portuguese coach. I I don't have any doubts about that. I really I think he's defensively the does a great work. I think his defensive way of playing is is underrated. I think Mifika is improving a lot, and I think that Mifika. I'm not sure, but I think that Mifika is the best European defense. Is the second best European defense be behind Sporting, and uh, I think there's as the same goals that Lille. I, I think I think he's second, uh, and I think that uh, he's very underrated. No, I I know that he, on his word he isn't the best coach. I think that uh, <laughs> that some someone should talk for him but on the on the field I am I have no complaints it's the it's the best coach I've seen at Benfica I think that is perfect for the job moving on now from Benfica I want to talk about Porto going into the the Champions League match against Chelsea obviously Chelsea are not going in with the right mojo shall we say Porto mm-hmm. on the other hand have been riding a pretty decent form at least in the league obviously they uh, eliminated Juventus in the Champions League but some so-so uh, performances but they are getting the results and we saw that this weekend against Santa Clara who have been you know one of the revelations shall mm-hmm. we say in Liga Noche this season uh, getting through with a late winner from Tony Martinez uh, Martinez, of course, being you know ex West Ham and and uh, mm-hmm. another one of those players who was so massive in Famalicao's impressive season last season. Um, mm-hmm. So first off, I want to get your take on what have you made of Martinez out of Porto's three s- striking reinforcements: Meritaremi, Evanilson, and Martinez. Uh, he hasn't really been shall we say, the most exciting or the most encouraging, but mm-hmm. came up with a massive goal. Yeah, I want to get your take. Do you think that Do you think that he could kick on and become a starter there? Yes, uh, I think yes. I think he's, he's being very misused by Conceição. I think that... Uh, I feel like he doesn't trust him. I think that uh, he abuses of uh, Tarem and Marega. Marega is having a lot of problems on the last third. I think Marega is not... Uh, I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think that he's a bad player like people say. I think he's a player very difficult to defend against. Most of the defenders say it's the one of the worst 
players to defend against. But I think that Tony Martinez has the efficacy. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I'm saying that right. But I, yes, and I think that uh, yes, that that Taremi and Marega have more difficulties. Taremi is is passing by a phase of uh, few few goals. I think that uh, he hasn't uh, scored in the last games. And I think Tony Martinez could be that player, could be that talisman on the on the last minutes. And I think that uh, he's a good striker. I don't know if he's a striker to Porto, but I think he's a, he's a good striker. He, he, he does the job and I think that uh, can be a very good support like Jimenez was for Benfica. Absolutely. Moving on, I want to just discuss tactical aspects. Um, I know some Chelsea fans will be listening to this to, to get an idea of their opponents. Let's talk about Sergio Conceição's Porto team for a second on a tactical basis. How do you think they can hurt Chelsea and how do you think Chelsea can hurt Porto? I think that uh, Porto Consistence ideas are perfect to counterattack uh, mentality, you know? And they, I think that's the secret to Porto Champions League this year. Uh, they played against a better team, Juventus, and uh, the way of Pirlo preparing the game was perfect for Porto. If you go against Porto, and bet on the crosses you you are done. You you can't it's very difficult. Juventus scored two goals of crossings, but if you saw the game, Juventus did 40 crosses. And uh, it's the I think it's the worst uh, tactics to beat Porto. I think with Pep, Memba, Diopolite, I think that uh, with those players it's very difficult to go with headers and uh, long balls. I think the best way to um, Chelsea earth Porto is with um, inland game. I mean, if they um, they go inside because Porto has a very lateralized game. Defending or, or attacking has a very lateralized game. And um, if Chelsea bet on between the lines, put players between lines like Carverts, like Mason Mount, I think you'll hurt Porto there. Tuchel is a great coach and I think that uh, you'll bet on between the lines. Porto has very problems controlling that. Porto it also gives a lot of space between the defenders. If you attract the, um, the fullbacks, the centre-back of the of that side has a mentality of neutralising that side, you know. They give a lot of space between that centre-back and the other centre-back. And that uh, if we can explore that perfectly, uh, even score the goal like that in Dragão, that's the way of uh, Chelsea... Chelsea can hurt Porto between the lines and the, between the space of centre-backs. I think that's essential to beat Porto. Absolutely. Moving on now, I want to go back to the relegation fight a little bit. Specifically touch up on one player who has been, I think, one of the most exciting players in Portugal this season. And his name is Ryan Gold. We recently ran a fantastic article on Gold on Breaking the Lines uh, by Patrick Kasky. Make sure to check it out because it's, it's super in-depth. But, Jaime, I want to get your take on Gold's performances this season. Obviously not quite, not really a, a new name to Portugal. You know, been here for, what is it, seven years now? I think... More or less, more or less. Going, going around seven years. Another player who, you know, like Mateus, came to Sporting at a young age and, and didn't quite manage to make the grade there, right? But... Mm-hmm. Really taking this Farange team by the scruff of his neck, um, contracts up in the summer. Where where do you see him playing out? Because I, I actually asked uh, somebody who knows Gold very well, shall we say, where he thinks his next move is. And he said MLS or Braga. I'm not going to say who, but I don't know. As, as somebody who watches both leagues, I really hope he does not go to MLS because, mm-hmm. or, with no disrespect, but MLS is a step back from the Portuguese mm-hmm. league. And he may make 
make more money in MLS, but mm-hmm. I think that Braga would be an excellent move. I think that, you know, I, I would maybe caution against going to a top three team again, you know, after his experience at Sporting, but I think that, you know, it's it's not easy to get a step up from Farage. I think that a team like Braga potentially like Vittorio de Guimaraes, you know, maybe if, if, mm-hmm. if Marcus Edwards uh, leaves, potentially, you know, I don't know, Pasos Chifajeda could be a team. But I think Braga, probably that team that, uh, I don't know, I, I just think that him and Ricardo Horta on the wings would be absolutely deadly. I want to get your take on Gald's season. How good has he been? As well as what team do you think he should join next, assuming he does not stick out at Fenech for another year? Uh, I like Gold a lot. I think he's the... He's one of the very good players of Liga Noche, besides the, the four principal clubs. I agree with you. I hope he's, he doesn't go to MLS because he's a very good player. In, uh, in short spaces, he's one of the best in Portugal. No doubt about that. I like to see him more on the middle. I don't like to see him as a winger. He, he loses the, the best of him. I love to see him between the lines. I think that uh, he has a capacity of rotation. It's deadly. When he turns that uh, between the middle and the, and the defense, I think that is very dangerous. I think he's the best one, one of the best in Portugal. On that aspect, uh, it will be a great fit to Braga. I think that Braga is exploring very well uh, good opportunities of business, you know. I think that Braga is getting a lot for a low prices. Uh, we have the examples of Almuzrati, Yuri Medeiros, Jigayu. Um, they have, uh, if you see the money they spent on on their players is very, is very low. Braga project is is doing a great job I think Salvador is a great president the, the scouting department it's very good all the sportive management is, is, is fantastic and I think that will be a great fit and uh, I don't know if you if you understand but uh, in Portugal the um, the lower teams are a little bit hostage of the biggest teams in Portugal you know because of the loans because of the of the um, the influence they have on the league and uh, what's going on on the league and uh, that for uh, uh, facilitates yes the um, the business between the Portuguese clubs you know uh, you have uh, very few examples that uh, good uh, good players of the lower teams went abroad they almost uh, stay stay in Portugal and I think that uh, isn't it will not be as expensive as as his quality demands but I think that will, will be a great play for Braga and even for Sporting I don't know if Sporting as the as a percentage of his pass but I think in Sporting he, he would fit very well on, on Pedro Gonçalves' place where Pedro Gonçalves' place he would fit very well I don't know if Sporting wants him but I think for Sporting he will be perfect he knows the club he knows the atmosphere he knows the the environment of the club and I think he will be a great fit for Sporting too but if he goes to Braga I, I'm happy because Braga is a great club and it's improving year by year Absolutely I think that Sporting shot it's an interesting one uh, you know obviously Amarim is is a coach who's who knows how to take better ch- uh, care of uh, young players than you know mm-hmm. previous sporting managers. So it's definitely an interesting option. I think that if Pedro Gonçalves does not leave, I'm not sure how much. I'm not sure if he'd be a starter, but you know we'll see. It's an interesting option. Finally, before we move on to the talent of the week section, I want to touch up on another game we've we've we haven't talked about yet, and it was Tondela's recent victory over Victoria de Guimaraes. So specifically, I want to touch up on one player who's made a few headlines this season at Fondela, and his name is Mario Gonzalez. So 
Mario Gonzalez uh, scored a brace to lift Tondela past Vitoria uh, de Guimarães in, in Guimarães. And, you know, I think that in general, I think that Tondela are one club that have made a common pattern, I guess, of, of Spanish recruitment, you know, of getting mm-hmm. a lot of good Spanish players like Gonzalez, who's on, who is on loan from Villarreal. Obviously, they have, I think, the only Spanish manager in Portugal's top two f- leagues, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yes, I think yes. Right, you, you're correct. Um, Tondela, we have, of course, Paco Ayestran, ex-Valencia manager, um, as their coach. And, you know, in general, they have done a good job of getting these Spanish players who, you know, for one reason or another, have not gotten uh, Mm -hmm. opportunities, right? Spanish speakers as well. Um, But a lot of Spanish players last season, it was Pepe Lu, who was really one of the revelations of of that campaign. Now at Victoria de Guimaraes, we, you know, also players such as Roberto Olabe, uh, Jaime Grau. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, mm-hmm. you're getting a lot of these Spanish players that you don't typically get at, at you know, in, in other Portuguese clubs who will tend to focus on Portuguese, you know, Brazilian, you know, so a bit of everything else, but not quite Spanish. So I, I just thought it was interesting, Tondela's kind of Spanish recruitment pattern. And, you know, I want to just touch up on Mario Gonzalez because, you know, hasn't, you know, Villarreal obviously are a, a tough club to make the grade at, but I think that he's he's done quite well here. And, you know, he could be primed for a, another uh, loan spell at, similar to Pepe Lu, you know, at a higher club um, in Portugal or even in Spain. What have you made of Mario how do you think he's done in Tondela this season? And uh, do you think he could make the jump to a top three club? I talked about Gonzalez a few times on my Twitter. I think he's a he's look like uh, a lot like Beto, not in physical type of game, but uh, on the way he explored the spaces. I think he's very good. I think he's he's great. He's, he's better than Beto because uh, Portimonense uh, explores the back of the defense much more than Tondela. And I think that when Tondela does it, he's very smart. Yolo is prepared when the when the defensive line isn't well formed. He always is very smart at looking at that and explore the spaces. He has uh, more technical ability, abilities than Beto. He has less difficulties with the with their feet and uh, he scores a lot of goals he fails very very few goals uh, one-on-one to goalkeeper he's a perfect player to a lower team you know I think to play in counter mostly in counter attack I think he's a great player he could fit in any any team in Portugal without uh, sporting Porto and Braga I think he would fit uh, perfectly in Guimarães I don't like the profile of Stupinet and I think that would be a great option and cheap like Pepe Lu uh, and Guimarães, uh, as you talked, I, I think that Guimarães disappointed me a little bit because uh, I think that the uh, Guimarães squad is, Victoria squad, is uh, very underrated. They, they have great players. They have André André, Ruben Lameira, Esquaresma, as you say, Pepe Lu. Um, they should have done a much better job. They should have fight with Passo Ferreira for the five place. Their squad is very underrated. Completely agree. Moving on now to, to finish up this episode, I want to get into our weekly talent of the week section. So, who is going to be your pick uh, for talent of the week? Uh, I think Steven Bergwas. I don't know if you know the player. 
But I, I love him. I think that uh, is that player that you are a big fan of the way he plays. He has 29 years, if I'm not wrong. I really think that uh, he would fit in any. And when I say any, it's really any any team of Europe. I'm talking about the top top teams. I think that would fit in any. Is a is his offensive plays. It's it's not normal. It's very good. I don't know why why is that fire north with all the respect left footed. Uh, I think is a top player and I really think that is still in time of, of t- t- taking that step. Definitely. So my town of the week is going to be Angel Gomez. I was kind of conflicted because I wanted to put Albert Ellis as well as he's done very well at Boavista. Uh, kind of the two guys who are really driving Boavista's attack right now and big reason why I think they'll pretty easily avoid relegation at this point. Obviously, nothing's certain, but Angel Gomez, he's a player who, you know, so talented. Uh, I believe he captained Manchester United at the youth level, but unfortunately did not get those consistent opportunities under Olgonar Solskjaer. But we've seen it on such a consistent basis, joining Bavista on loan and been so crucial in their, you know, relegation fight. I think that Angel, you know, he's, he's owned by Lille. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if a return to Lille, obviously he will return to Lille. The only question is, will he be loaned out again or will he stay in the first team squad or will he be sold? I don't think Lille is the best option for him just because looking at Christophe Gaultier's 4-4-2, yeah, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he's the right player to, to fit into that. Obviously, there's a ton of competition as well that he's going to have to deal with players such as Jonathan David, Timothy Weah, Yusuf Yasiki. But he's just been really impressive for Boavista this season and opened the scoring right before halftime with a fantastic goal. Once again, combining with Albert Ellis, and just kind of, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just such a, it was, it was a mix of, you know, close control and uh, mm-hmm. positioning in the box and, and just, of course, fantastic finishing. And it just, it, it makes me very happy to see Gomez thriving in a, in a top league, you know, obviously not with the Premier League's quality, but still a very good league in Liga Noche. And yeah, I think he will probably get a bigger move. I can't imagine him staying at Boavista again for another season. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I don't know. What what have you made of Angel? And do you think Manchester United fans uh, should be regretting their uh, the club's decision to let him leave on a free transfer? Of course, I think that uh, he's a very differentiated player. I think that uh, it will be a, a great signing for the club who signs him for in, at the summer. I don't think I agree with you. I don't think he stays at Lille. Uh, he doesn't fit the system. But uh, I really think that uh, Gomez is the kind of player that you change the system for. I really like that he stays at Portugal. I don't think that will be possible. I don't see any team signing him for... I, I don't see Lille selling for less than 20 million. I think that would be a great mistake. Uh, and I really, uh, I don't understand how Manchester United let him leave for for nothing. I don't, I don't understand. I really think that they couldn't make an effort for him. If Lille doesn't keep him, we'll do a great money with him. 
think he's a very differentiated player and one of the best of Ligue 1 and top 10 for him. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, not fitting in at Manchester United. Okay, fine. That you know, I, I understand if he's too small, but like, I'm sorry, there there's no way that a player like Daniel James, who costs 15 million, has mm -hmm. higher potential than Angel. Mm -hmm. Like, there is absolutely no way. Whatever. We'll, I'll I'll let old Gunnar Solskjaer uh, answer to that, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Anyways, it was a pleasure. Uh, Jaime to have you on the podcast today. Uh, make sure to check out Jaime's work, uh, not just for Breaking Lines, but for other sites as well. Jaime, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Dosis Footballera, where I, where I write about Liga Nosh. I do the preview and the result of the round. Uh, at Bolena Red, I do um, analysis, jobs, and a little, little bit of journalistic too resumes and uh, kind of that work and uh, at breaking the lines i do scouting reports and that's it and uh you you should see it. it's a it's a quality job i think absolutely jaime one of my favorite writers and a great person to have on the podcast thank you so much for coming on jaime really hope to have you on again uh soon. pleasure is mine sir thank you um, abrazo. Um, abrazo.